know the story. Uh, he ran from God. He was thrown off the boat. A great fish swallowed him and then spit him back up on the shore. And all of Nineveh repented. And, uh, and yes, that is the by and large of the story of Jonah. But there's so many details that are packed in the Word of God. I, I don't know about you, but I marvel continuously at the Word of God because it's so deep and it's so full of information. And there's always little things that you see in there that, that, uh, that you don't always see uh, when you go through it reading it. And I don't know about you, but on Wednesday nights we've been answering some questions that people would write and and uh, and and I had somebody tell me this this week they said man I, I never saw that verse and and I confess to you that I've read it myself but I never saw the verse I didn't stop and think about it and read it and study it and so uh so you know there's all kinds of things that are in the word of God that uh, just reading and reading and reading, uh, sometimes something will stand out to you and sometimes something else will stand out to you. And the Word of God is like that. It is an amazing book. Uh, it's not like any other piece of literature uh, because it's God's holy Word. It is a living book. And so we thank the Lord for the Bible. There, did I give you enough time to find the book of Jonah? All right. Jonah, chapter number 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your house, God, and to read your word and to study your word. And God, I pray that you would just use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts and God, you'd encourage believers and you would help us as we uh, look into the life of Jonah. And God, we see uh, some more things and some more interesting facts about his life. God, I pray that you would uh, again touch hearts and uh, Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at the life of Jonah, we've already considered his duty, uh, that he was to take the gospel to Nineveh. Uh, we've already considered uh, his disobedience, that clearly he decided, man, I'm going the other way, and he decided that he would run to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. And then uh, we've seen the disturbance that was caused by uh, the great storm that, that God had sent Jonah's way uh, for, for running for, from him. 
And then last week we considered the uh, we considered two of them. We kind of merged two lessons: the detection and the dialogue of sin. That was the sailors as they went through and they drilled Jonah. Uh, boy, all the questions they asked were good, solid questions, and they really uh, determined what's going on in Jonah's life. And this week we're going to look at the debarkation of Jonah, debarkation. Now, when I think of debarkation, I think of walking off the airplane or walking off the boat. But in Jonah's case, he didn't walk off, all right? He was thrown off. And so uh, his debarkation was a little bit different than probably the average debarkation. But nonetheless, we'll look at that this morning. But I want you to notice, even before we get into this, um, as we look here, uh, we read in verse number 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish, and uh, and we see that the Lord is busy preparing things. He prepared this fish that would swallow up Jonah. In the New Testament, it calls it a whale, and in the Old Testament, here we have a, a great fish, uh, and, and so we know that it was prepared of the Lord, and it was certainly the big fish or a whale, uh, and, and certainly it did swallow up Jonah. Uh, but I want us to notice as well, in verse number 4, the, the Bible says, But the Lord sent out a great wind, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. And so God is orchestrating all these things. He prepared a great storm to come through and, uh, and to hit this area and hit this ship. And then He prepared a great fish to come and swallow up Jonah. And so the Lord is prepared. Uh, and it's interesting just to note that, that the, the Lord is prepared and things do not take Him by surprise, though oftentimes we're taken by surprise as by many of these things. So I love the fact that the Lord was prepared in both of those cases and, uh, and had things all set up. And then I think later in the book, He prepared a, uh, that um, plant that sprouted up, if you remember at the end of the book. And you just see the preparedness of the Lord. But as we think about these sailors... Um, again, they were not real religious people, per se. Uh, if anything, uh, we see that they were polytheistic, and that would be they believed in many gods. That would be that they uh, did not just believe in one God, the Jehovah God, but they might believe in many gods. And we remember in the beginning of the book of, uh, the beginning of the chapter, rather, that uh, the shipmaster came and, and he said, hey, pray to your gods, plural. Uh, in other words, hey, whatever you believe in, now is the time that you should start praying. And so uh, these guys were not real religious men. They certainly were not uh, religious to Jehovah God, our God, the God of the universe. Uh, but when it came time for uh, pitching Jonah overboard, you'll notice, and they, they didn't want to go there. Uh, there there's something about... Uh, just the sanctity of human life and just wanting to uh, pitch it overboard that concerned them. And so I want us to see this morning a couple of things, but one of the things I want us to see is their sentiments against throwing Jonah overboard or debarkation. Um, Jonah offers his own sentence uh, for his sin, for running away from God. Go with me to verse number 12 there. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And so we see there in verse number 12, Jonah's the one talking. This is not the shipmaster. This is not 
uh, the sailors that are saying, well, the only thing that we can do is throw Jonah. This is Jonah himself saying, hey, uh, you're going to have to throw me overboard. The only way that this problem is going to go away is if you pick me up and you throw me overboard. And so this is Jonah giving his sentence for his sin. This is Jonah. I'm sure he probably got it from the Lord uh, because I don't know too many people that are just saying, well, you know what, uh, throw me to the sea and to, the, uh, to my death and that will, cause, that will solve the problem. And so Jonah is the one that, that is giving this sentence and, uh, and an indictment really for his uh, running from the Lord. And, uh, and you know, they, they were like, in verse 13, they said, man, we don't want to do that. They, they basically tried to row themselves to shore. And I want to look at the idea that, hey, they were opposed to that. They didn't like that idea. They, they thought, man, that's brutal. It's a serious matter to take another man's life. And yet sometimes punishment demands it. Uh, matter of fact, God uh, put in his word in Leviticus 24, 17, and he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. Now, personally, we wouldn't want to do that. You might not want to, well, this person killed this other person, so therefore uh, this man must die. And personally, we may not want to do that, but that's what God said to do. And, uh, and there's something about capital punishment that the Bible it clearly indicates, hey, that's what God uh, intended to happen. And, uh, and you say, well, man, that's, that's kind of cruel. Listen, many, much of the world uh, says, well, we, can't, we don't want to do that. Uh, but the media will often give a, a sob story for the criminal. But what about the person that died? Uh, many times their story is not written at all. There's no information. And, uh, and while we don't like it, listen, the Bible is very clear that that's what God indicates should happen. And, uh, and so we ought to follow the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to institute that, but the government, that's what the Bible says, that the government is there to, to cover those kind of things and take care of uh, taking care of criminals and the, the fair trial and all of that goes into play. Uh, and, and it's very even called for in Scripture. Matter of fact, if you go back and you read, uh, the Bible says that there were cities that were set up that were, a man could run to. They were cities of refuge. And, uh, and if somebody in the Old Testament killed somebody, even if it was by accident in a field. Um, the family sometimes, boy, Bible times, man, they would get upset. They'd get so mad, they'd go out and kill that guy. And so the, the object of the cities of refuge is that guy could run to those cities and, uh, and he could live there. And the Bible says he had to stay there. He, he couldn't leave. If he left the city of refuge then, uh, and somebody killed him, hey, that's his own fault. He shouldn't have left. Uh, but he goes to that city of refuge, and, and what happens is he would stay there until they could determine, was this an accidental death or was it a purposeful death? And if it was a purposeful death, then the law was to be completed, that he was to be taken out and he was to die for the fact that he killed intentionally another man. And so we see that in Bible, and we see that God set it all up. Uh, and, and as we're looking at this, uh, those sailors, they were opposed to it. They said, man, we don't want to throw Joan overboard. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough call to do, uh, and that's something that's very difficult. But yet it was, uh, I believe, what God had ordained. We see that he had ordained the whale and that he had set everything up, and, uh, and he was planned and prepared for that. So it was certainly of God. And... Uh, John Butler writes this, 
He said, the sailors demonstrated mercy for Jonah, but it was not true mercy, for true mercy is never exercised at the expense of justice. Boy, that's good. True mercy is never exercised at the expense of justice. You say, what was Jonah's crime? Well, we looked at it last week, but the fact that he was running and not going to Nineveh would effectually condemn all of Nineveh and all of those people who lived in that city to never have a chance to repent and get saved and to die eternally. That's, that's the consequence of Jonah's disobedience. And so not just one life was Jonah condemning, but an entire city, an entire place. And so therefore, God said, hey, listen, Jonah must be thrown overboard. And we know that God is working. There is more to it than the fact that Jonah simply would die. But in these sailors' minds, they didn't know the end of the story. For all we know, they never heard of Jonah again. They didn't know what happened to Jonah. They didn't read the entire... The, the book of Jonah was not written to, to their mind, they threw Jonah, a big fish swallowed him, if they even saw that, end of story. There was no more. And so as they were getting ready to throw him overboard, this is what they're thinking, he's done, he's dead. There is no more Jonah. It's the end of the story. Of course, we know that God was working there, but their, their, their sentiments were very opposed uh, to throwing Jonah Overboard. Not only that, but look with me in verse number 13. In the first part, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. These men were just not talk, but this was a sincere sentiment. You know, sometimes people talk. And, uh, and sometimes uh, people, we call them empty words. They'll, they'll throw out empty words. They really don't mean much or there's not much to them, uh, but, uh, but they'll give you words. These men were not just talk. They were action. There was action behind what they were saying. They believed what they were saying. And the Bible says here in verse number 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring, to bring it to the land. Some people think that they were far out in sea, and uh, the Bible seems to indicate that they were within eyeshot of the land, or at least they thought for sure that they could bring it to land. You've got to imagine there's a big storm going on. Uh, they had already dropped their sails because uh, winds would shift. It would be uncontrollable. They could not maintain a straight course, and, uh, and it would, could potentially tip the entire ship over with the winds being that strong. And so therefore, uh, they, they would have lowered the sails, and the only course of action after that would be to get the oars out and start rowing this ship. You could imagine what a concentrated effort that would be. I don't know, we're not told how big the boat is, uh, but you could imagine that would have been an incredible amount of work for them to do uh, besides the fact of the waves and besides the fact of the storm. And, and these men uh, had a lot of sincerity. They thought, man, let's get Jonah back to shore where he can at least live. And we'll let him off there. And so they tried in all sincerity can I, can I mention this this morning? That you can be as sincere as you want to be, but if you go against God, it's going to be futile. These men tried with all their might. 
They, they were sincere. This was a noble effort. This was not just a, a, a simplistic, well, you know, they, they were sincere about the fact that they wanted to try and save Jonah's life, but they were going against God's word. And, and we ought to be careful when we're sincere, but we're wrong. Hey, listen, it's going to be futile, and it's not going to result in anything. These men were not able to make it to shore. These were not the only people that rode uh, against God's will. Uh, you remember the disciples, and uh, they were in the, the sea, and the, a big storm blew up, and they tried hard to row to land, uh, but they were not able to. And, uh, and God said, hey, peace be still. And listen, when all of our sincerest efforts to try and do a good thing, to try and accomplish something that would be maybe positive in our minds, but maybe goes against God's plan and is not what God wants, is going to end up futile in the end. And we must be dependent and obedient to God and His Word. And so we see that these men were, uh, their sentiment was not just outward, it wasn't just spoken, it just wasn't something they were saying, but it was sincere in that they put action to their words. But it was a condemning sentiment as well. Think about this, the fact that these men were that concerned for the life of Jonah. Here's a bunch of sailors Maybe some of them did believe in the Lord Jesus Christ after this. I mean, they saw very clearly many things that, that were testimony to God and His strength and His witness. And, uh, and maybe afterwards they ended up believing in God. But nonetheless, here they are. They didn't even want to throw Jonah overboard. But here Jonah was running from the Lord, willing to condemn an entire city to death. I couldn't imagine how Jonah felt. The fact that these men were trying to save Jonah's life, but he was busy running to save a whole bunch of other people's lives. And, and so it was very condemning uh, to, to Jonah in the fact that he wouldn't even do what God wanted him to do. But here's a bunch of men that are trying to save Jonah's life and keep him from dying, from being thrown into the, into the, uh, the sea there in the storm. And we find that it was vain. And we kind of touched on this, that even though it's sincere, it, it, was, it was unprofitable. It was vain. They could row all they wanted, but as long as they were fighting against God, it would be futile. Listen, society in, in large has rode really hard to try and stem the effects of many sins in our society. Um, I know this is going back. I, I, I realize that. But you think about alcohol. How much does that cost our society every day? How much does it cost in, in medical bills, police how, much, how many police reports and police have to deal with the effects of alcohol? And, and what it is, is it's like our society rowing hard, trying to bring this wickedness to shore to save it and saying, well, we can tax it, we can make money off of it. I can promise you we're paying more than, the, than, the, than, uh, than we're getting from the taxes. It costs us far more. 
Uh, not just alcohol. You could take that anywhere you want. You could take it to drugs. You could take it to gambling. You could take it to uh, abortion. You could take it to perversity. You could take it to this whole gender neutrality that's coming in our society. And it will continue to cost us. It's like our society rowing hard, trying to bring all of this to shore and save it. While we want to keep it on our boat, we want to have it with us. But, but we'll try and stem the tide of it. And it's going to be a loss in the end. Because it's vain to go against God. It's absolutely futile. And these men discovered, well, we can keep Jonah on board. Uh, we can keep the sinner on board. Uh, but but it's, it's not going to result in anything. And if they had continued rowing and continued uh, just my, uh, my understanding and my thought that, hey, this boat very well could have been broken up and absolutely died and all of them would have perished if they would have tried continuing to go against God. And so we find that sin cannot and will not prosper uh, a people, a boat, a nation, a church, or a family. It must be cast out. And so we see here that uh, they were against casting Jonah out. We see their sentiment against it. We see in verse number 15, we see their submission to debarkation. Look with me at verse number 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. After they tried everything in their power to to go against what God wanted, and they finally did submit. You know, sometimes, man, we will try and try and try to go against what God wants and what God desires from us. But in the end, uh, when we find out we've tried all of our ways, we've tried all of our strengths, we've tried all of our abilities, and we've gotten absolutely nowhere. It's then that we usually say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? We'd be far, so far ahead if we would just say, God, what do you want me to do in the beginning rather than, uh, than wait and, and say, well, let me try everything in my power. Let me do what I can do. And then in the end, if I can't get done what I want to get done, uh, then I'll turn to God. Uh, but they did finally submit to God. And I want you to notice their faith in their submission, their acceptance, their final acceptance that they believed, number one, that, the, that God sent Jonah to Nineveh. They, they realized that. They said, you know what? God really did send Jonah to Nineveh. They realized, number two, that God sent the storm. And we noticed that when we looked at the disturbance. They realized, hey, this storm is not just uh, the effects of climate change. It, it is God that sent this storm. We noticed that in verse number four, that God sent that storm and, uh, and sent it their way. They acknowledged that. And then three, they acknowledged and accepted that God's way was the only way. Sometimes we're so, um, we're so stubborn-minded, at least maybe you're not, but man, I can be stubborn. Uh, and I can say, man, I'm going to do this, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll come up with different plans. We need to stop and we need to say, God, what do you want me to do? God, is this the right way? God, is this what you want in my life? And we need to acknowledge and accept God's involvement in our life. And these sailors finally came and, and submitted to God's plan in throwing Jonah overboard. Not only did they accept it, but it turned into action. They physically had to go after they believed all of this and they believed that Jonah must be thrown overboard. They finally went and grabbed Jonah. Listen, action is key to our faith. Now, we don't believe, obviously, 
uh, in a works-based salvation, and I'm not saying that we do at all. But James does say this, there's two sides to faith. Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about faith as believing, and certainly it is believing, and certainly it is uh, that idea of, of something that is unseen. But on the other hand, in James 2.18, it says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And listen, our faith is certainly displayed by the work that we do. There's no doubt about it. If these men had said, yes, we believe that God sent Jonah. Yes, we believe that God sent this storm. Yes, we believe that, that God wants us to throw Jonah overboard. And they continued to row, their words would be empty. It would be vain. But they didn't. They stopped rowing. You know what they did? They went and got Jonah, and then they threw him overboard. And their faith was displayed by their works. And our works ought to display our faith. Hey, the fact that you're here this morning uh, is, is faith in action. Uh, the fact that you would take your Bible and you would open it up on Monday morning is faith in action. That The fact that you would bow your head and pray on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and read the Bible and, and attend church and witness to other people and, and try and live a life that is right, those are actions that show that, hey, we are people of faith. And so their actions very much so displayed that they had faith. Uh, not only do we see their faith and submission, but I want you to notice as well their prayer and submission. In verse number 14, the Bible says, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. They prayed. I want you to notice the person of the prayer. The Bible says there in verse number 14 that we just read, Wherefore they cried to who? Unto the Lord. You notice back in the other verses, uh, they cried to their gods. But this time, they're crying to Lord, the Lord, the Lord God Jehovah. They're praying to Him. And listen, their prayers would go heard and their prayers would be listened to. And they weren't praying to their other gods. They were praying to the Jehovah God. And I want you to notice the passion in their prayer, not just the person of their prayer being the Lord, but their passion. The Bible says there in verse 14, and they cried unto the Lord. And then a couple of verses or words later, it says, we beseech thee. That is a begging. That is a pleading with God. It's not just a vain, empty prayer. It's not just words that would, would, would flow out of man's mouth, but it is a heart's cry unto the Lord. And they had passion in prayer. Uh, James 5, 16, the second part of that verse says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And oh, how our prayer ought to be a fervent prayer a prayer that is cried out to the Lord and a prayer that is sincere and a prayer that is heartfelt. And I believe that was their, their heart as they cried unto the Lord. And their petition, you know, see what they were asking there. They said um, in verse number 14, the middle of the verse, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. They were saying, we're throwing Jonah overboard. But God, don't punish us for it. 
We don't want to do it. We tried to get him to land, but we just simply couldn't do it. And God, we don't want to be guilty of this man's blood. I mean, this man's going to die. And, and, and we, don't, he, we know that he's a prophet of God. We already had established that. And, and so they, they're, they're concerned. They're saying, hey, Lord, we make sure that, uh, that, that we're okay with this. They're asking for mercy from God. But then look at the last part of the verse. I love this. It says, For thou... O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. We see their praise in prayer. They said, Lord, it's your will. It's not my will. Just like Jesus prayed when he, when he was on the, uh, in the garden there before he went to the cross of Calvary, he said, uh, thy will be done. And even when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. And they were acknowledging and saying, God, this is uh, whatever pleases you. That's what we want to have. That's what we want to take place. And God, we're praising you in our prayer and knowing and recognizing that you are in control and that you are the Lord and that we want to simply be the instruments uh, that do whatever you would have us to do. We see the prayer and submission. Not only do we, we see that, but look with me in verse number 15. I like this. It says, so they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. That's not the part I like, okay, just for reference. I like this last phrase. And the sea ceased from her raging. It's amazing to me how God just, Jesus, when he was here on the earth, when he was with his disciples, he was in the boat in the middle of the sea, and the sea was raging and tempestuous. And Jesus said, peace be still. And that storm stopped and that calm came over that sea. It's just amazing to me. And here they are, uh, they're, they're in the boat and, and as soon as they take Jonah and they throw him overboard, that the Bible says there was a calm that came over. The, sea, the storm ceased to be. Can I tell you something? When you cast out sin, there's just a peace in your life. When you obey God, there's just a peace in your life. Like, like, there's just no way to explain it, but it is there. And, and I can tell you time and time again, I, I've gave testimony of times when I, I just didn't want to do what the Lord wanted me to do. I didn't, want, I didn't feel like going out visiting. Many times in Peru, uh, it was hot or it was cold or it was rainy or this or that. I just didn't feel like going out. Uh, but I went out anyways, and every time I did, it's just like the Lord gives you a peace. When you do what God wants you to do, there's just a peace in your life that is unmistakable, that is certainly of God. And these sailors physically witnessed it because it was not just an inner peace, it was an outer peace. I mean, that whole storm calmed right down when they obeyed God. That whole storm ceased when they decided to do what God wanted them to do. And the Bible says in Romans 15, 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I wonder what those sailors did after they threw Jonah overboard. I, and the whole storm just stopped. And I bet they just kind of sat there for a moment and took it in. So well, I, guess, I guess we ought to get our sails back up. They'd thrown most of their stuff overboard. 
Maybe they were looking for Jonah, trying to spot him where he went, whatever happened to him. But there was just that peace that came in their life. Listen, there's something about following God and submitting to God, even when we don't want to, even though we might not like it, that it goes against our feeling or goes against what we want to do. But there's a peace that comes over us when we uh, believe God and we obey God. And we do what He wants us to do. There was a peace in these sailors' lives. But not just that, I want you to notice as well, the, not just the sentiments that they had and not just the... Um, the submission to, uh, to throwing Jonah overboard, but I want you to notice the service after the debarkation. Look with me in verse number 16. The Bible says, Then, when, after the sea ceased, after they threw Jonah overboard, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made Vows. There's three things right here in these verse that's very clear. And uh, this verse is an excellent verse for a worship service. All the necessary ingredients are in, involved right here. Psalm 76, 11 says, Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. We see their motivation for worship in verse number 16, the fear of the Lord. Can I tell you that fear motivates people? Fear was the motivation for them finally to throw Jonah overboard. Fear of the storm, fear of everything that was going on. And it seems like when, when, when somebody becomes fearful and they've gotten to the last straw and they don't know where else to turn and they don't know what else to do, the, the fear and the realization that, hey, I'm not in control and God is con in control comes over people. And they realize that. They said, man, we've done everything within our power to bring, to, to bring the boat to shore, to try and make the storm go away. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. And so they're, they're, they realize, hey, God is in control. And, uh, and it was fear that motivated them. We have a fella in our neighborhood, and, and he started walking here, I don't know, six months ago. And <clears throat> you can tell... Some people who walk in your neighborhood, they're, they're the exercise people. You can tell. They just stand out. They dress the part. They look it. They just, you know, they do that. But they've always done that. They're exercise people. This guy, he's, he's kind of new to walking. And uh, not, I don't mean anything bad. If I went walking, I probably would look like this guy. I, I do go walking on sometimes. But uh, uh, he wasn't your typical exercise guy. He's just an average person. He's probably my age. And, and, and I thought, that's kind of odd that this guy started walking. And I don't know because I don't know him. I haven't met him. But I, I wonder myself, I thought, I wonder if something scared him. Maybe he had a close brush with a heart attack or something. And the doctor said, you better start walking. And he started walking. You know, people are motivated by fear sometimes. Sometimes it's that sickness that drives people to call on God. And, and I don't know what it is, but these sailors were motivated by fear when the storm hit. We looked at verse number 5 earlier, and it said that the sailors were afraid. In verse number 10, it says they were exceedingly afraid. And, and then we find here in verse number uh, 15, verse number 16, excuse me, that says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Before they were fearing of death and they were unprepared and now they were fearing God and, and His thoughts and His opinions. They said, man, we need to obey God uh, above all things. And, and, and they, were, they had a fear of God. 
that was instilled in their life. Boy, we need a fear of God instilled in our life. And I've taught on this before. It's not a fear where we cower, well, God's going to judge me or this or that. But it is an awe and a reverence that God is all-powerful and that God is there in heaven and that God knows far better for our life than we would even know ourselves. They had a motivation for their service to God. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, and offered a sacrifice. It was a verification of their fear. Fear is internal. You can't see fear. It's kind of like pain. You can't see pain, usually. You can't see what somebody feels. But their, their offerings that they offered, they were visible. It was like, Man, let's, let's, let's offer offerings. Now, I don't know what they offered because they were on a boat. They had thrown some of their stuff off. I don't know if they had uh, sheep on there. I don't know what kind of offerings they offered. But whatever it was, it was a visible verification of the fact that they feared God. And they said, hey, we're going to give something to God. I love the verse um, in, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament where David uh, is going and, and he, there's the Lord is judging Israel for David's sin of numbering the people, and uh, and they come to a threshing floor, and uh, and David says, "Hey, I want to buy this threshing floor from this fella," and and he says, "You know what?" He says, "If it's for the Lord, I'll give it to you." And David says, "I will not offer to the Lord something that cost me nothing." He says, "No, no, no, I'm going to pay for it. I'm the king, and 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 yes, you could give it to me." And yes, you could give it to the Lord, but I want to pay a price for it because I want this offering to come from me and I want it to be a cost to me. And these men, these sailors, offered a sacrifice. It was the verification of their fear that is in the Lord. What do we sacrifice for the Lord? What do we give that costs us something? Look at verse number 16. We'll look at the latter part. He says, and, and made vows. Not only is it a fear, not only is it a sacrifice and that they would pay and give something to God, but it is a consecration that they would make vows, that they would say, God, I am going to live my life for you. I don't know what vows they made because it's not written in the Word of God for us to know. But they made vows. They promised the Lord something. Listen, I don't know what vows we make in our life, and a lot of times people will make vows in, a, in the heat of a moment in a very uh, bad situation, but they don't follow through with those vows. Uh, and I don't know if these fellas did or not, but I'm saying this, hey, we ought to consecrate our life to God and say, God, I'm going to follow through with it. I'm going to vow, and I'm going to follow through, and I'm going to obey you with my life. Maybe it was cleaning up their life. Maybe it was witnessing. Maybe it was faithfulness. Maybe it was worship. But there was an invitation given where they said, I'm going to make vows. That's probably what happened during that quiet calm of the storm. They said, you know what, God? I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And they made vows. They promised to God. They knew what they were going to do. They knew what God wanted them to do. And they decided, hey, we're going to follow God. And they made vows to God. We stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. These men, they were opposed to throwing Jonah overboard in the beginning. 
But they finally submitted, and when they did submit, there was a peace that came over their life. But then there was a service that said, hey, you know what? I'm going to submit myself, surrender myself completely to God. They feared the Lord, they offered sacrifices, and they consecrated themselves to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be consecrated Christians, to make vows that we would follow through, that we would obey you, that we would live for you, that we would be a witness for you, that we would be faithful to you. God, whatever it is, I pray, Father, that as you speak to hearts, God, we'd be, we'd be submissive to you. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. God, you know the hearts of the people. You know the lives of each and every person and their situation. God, I pray that you'd help us to be submitted to you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open. Maybe God's spoken to your heart about something. Maybe you just want to pray and ask God to help you to be strong and to continue walking with Him. Maybe there's a specific issue. Maybe you need to put your faith and trust in Him. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to witness more. Whatever the need, the altar's open.